0: So, uh, traditional Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. We
1: just live different. <laughs> you can say that again, because I'm an atheist. Right. <laughs> but, like, just look at how two people who are so different can come together and make something beautiful.
2: Right. Like Rome and Greece. Oh, what a,
1: what a segue. <laughs> yeah. So this episode might sound a little bit similar to last week. Because um, it
2: is very similar in a lot of ways, but also materially different.
1: Yes. On the, the, the Holy, Holy Watermelon, Watermelon Podcast. podcast. <laughs> we already have theme music. I don't know why I'm singing.
2: Because you got to feel it.
1: Yeah, Preston and I are in a mood tonight. I don't know why. but uh,
2: We just had a great meal and way too much sugar. So
1: here we are. Mormon drunk.
2: I mean, sure, maybe.
1: Yeah. This episode we are talking about ancient Roman religion, which is just the grandbaby of Greek religion. So some of this is going to be a review.
2: Right. In much the same way that... English is uh, a weird pile of languages in a trench coat that went and beat up other languages in dark alleys. That's exactly what Roman religious tradition is to yeah. the rest of Southeastern Europe.
1: Yeah. And eventually to its detriment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> which we'll get to in a few weeks. But uh, So the pantheon of gods in the Roman religion um, Is very similar to the Greek tradition, but as we go on with this little series, we'll also see that there are similarities with the Celtic and Norse, Norse pantheons as well to the Greek and the Roman. It's interesting to me that all these pantheons are so similar.
2: Yeah, we're going to highlight some of the differences too. It's some pretty interesting stuff, I thought.
1: Oh yeah, this would be a boring episode. We just talked about how it's the same.
2: <laughs> Let's just re-record the exact same episode with different names. Zeus be is the worst.
1: Jupiter. <laughs> Hera is Minerva. Is she? No, I have that backwards. Athena nope. is Minerva. <laughs> <Just, laughs> Good night, everyone. Uh, but uh, that's
2: not why you listen to the holy watermelon. <laughs> no.
1: So... Again, many aspects of the Roman tradition are based on the Greek tradition, but it, there is about a thousand years difference between when we really started to see the Roman tradition take hold.
2: Yeah, it's interesting that Romans did change everything to fit themselves. Uh, they adopted a lot of things that they found elsewhere that they liked. And it's it's kind of funky. On the surface, it looks like it's the same gods with different names. And it's easy, really easy to just assume they all are just the exact same thing. But there's, there's some important differences.
1: I, I think it's an interesting sociological, anthropological mm-hmm. concept that they changed it to fit their culture. Because you could probably argue that every, I mean, I'm thinking the big ones, Christianity and Islam have done that.
2: American Jesus is a lot different than, say, the Jesus that people still believe in in the Middle East.
1: Yeah, or if you look (laughs) at, you know, um, people say Islam's such a violent religion. Well, yeah, if you're looking at places like Saudi Arabia or Qatar, then yeah. But if you look at countries like Indonesia, uh, it's not the same Islam. Right. Yeah. So, anyway. Interesting parallel. Yeah.
2: Uh, Romans were really into their religion. Like, the Greeks were pretty religious as a general statement. The Romans were really into it.
1: I, I think the difference between Greek and Roman is that, like, Greek, as we talked about, was kind of like Shinto. It's, it's just the way you lived your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas Roman, from our research to me, it really feels like there was this belief to it. There was... Like, they recognized there was worship, whereas Greeks was like, this is how you do your day.
0: Pretty much
2: it, it became more of a actual religion yeah. in Rome. It looks like, which is a weird thing to say when we have a hard time defining religion, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, it was commonly believed in the life of Rome that everything was really tightly tied to their piety. Any failure to satisfy the gods would ruin the nation. And, I mean, the decline of Rome and the rise of Christianity does illustrate that in a weird kind of way. It does.
1: <laughs> and, and part of that, too, is that they were happy to add to their pantheon, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like Hinduism, which mm-hmm. is funny that to Rome, it was their ultimate downfall in Hinduism. It's like, eh.
2: They're still doing great. They're yeah. everywhere.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, so the, the source of a lot of confusion in all of the study of what is Roman, the Roman gods, but also what's going on with their neighbors is the Roman preference to see all foreign gods as manifestations of their own gods, which is really frustrating to somebody who wants to try and figure out, okay, but who was Minerva and because they saw Athena and other neighboring similar gods as the same thing as Minerva, all of the stories get jumbled together. <laughs> and it, you have to really dig to find out who was Minerva before this was happening.
1: It's it's funny that you talk about this. I'm reading um, a historical fiction novel. But the author is clearly, like, big into history. Like, it's only a few steps away from being a historical novel as opposed to historical fiction. And it's about uh, Salisbury and Stonehenge and, and what used to be called Sarum in England. And I'm at the part where Rome has now made its way to the British Isles and exactly that. There's like passages where they're like, oh, well, they call this thing, but it's clearly.
2: Yeah. So that's where,
1: again, when we get into Celtic and Norse Gods, we'll see similarities because of exactly that. They're like, oh, this is their sun god. Well, it's clearly Apollo.
2: We only have one sun above us. And Apollo is a a specific issue that does confuse that a bit. We talked about it in our last episode. Apollo is the second sun god who kind of took over the role from Helios.
1: Right. But the one thing about absorbing gods it's a great way to make friends
2: yeah i belong to an organization that's all about focusing on our similarities and that helps us be peaceable to each other it's great we make good brothers that way but it's really hard to properly understand what's going on in a person's theology when you have even this kind of prejudice
1: yeah and i i mean Who knows how they felt 2,000, 4,000 years ago. But, like, if you did that today, that'd just be really insensitive to someone. (laughs) Oh, that's a very fascinating story. That sounds like one of my stories that I actually think is better. (laughs) A little bit, yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So, we've talked... More than a year ago now, we talked about various theological models. And... I think we even said that the Roman pantheon is up and the Roman tradition is a pretty polytheistic situation, Mm -hmm. but for a lot of people, it was more henotheistic where you would have people just worship one God rather than offer it several altars over the course, over the course of their life. But of course you did have to recognize that there were were other gods, but you just didn't worship them. Yeah, It's, complicated it's always complicated <laughs> it's
1: amazing and and we might actually have to add an episode for this but it's amazing between this research and then again this that i just happened to be reading this for a historical fiction book that the concept of monotheism was like mind-boggling to these people absolutely and to the point where it's like a joke that you would believe in one all-powerful god so yeah. it, it's an interesting again now we're like at least in the West, the concept of polytheism and multiple gods is, I don't want to say laughable, but I'm for sure for some people it is. It's definitely unfamiliar.
2: Right. When Christianity was just forming, and or even before that, when the Romans were talking about the people of Israel, they saw the God of Israel as just another manifestation of Jupiter, or sometimes one of the other gods, depending on who was talking and what similarities they saw in their features and their aspects. And when Israel came around and said, no, there's only one God. And the Christians were like really aggressively saying, no, there's only one God. Yeah. That didn't make any sense to them at all. Yeah, <laughs> That's fascinating stuff.
1: So let's chat about all of these gods. So we had the 12 Olympians, but there's even more than that here.
2: Wow. Well, well, and I know yeah. there's
1: more than twelve Olympians, but
2: so the Roman system is really complicated. What? <laughs> um, there, there is no Mount Olympus, which of course was an amalgamation of a lot of traditions to begin with as well. In Rome, there's so many different systems of the favored gods. It's kind of complicated. Oh,
1: it's actually far more complicated than Greek. And part of that, yeah. I wonder if it isn't because the roman empire spread so far i think that's and there's so many different cultures because i mean you asked me and we'll get to to research the afterlife and i was like i don't get it (laughs) (laughs) there's too much but sorry carry on (laughs)
2: so let's start with the gods that had cults that were officially state-supported cults like the church of england kind of state-supported cults there were a handful of high priests or um Their fancy name is actually the Flamines Maiores, the the major priests. Uh, These three great priests would serve the three most important gods to the Roman state, like going back before the empire, even before the Republic to the kingdom of Rome. And then of course this did continue into the Republic and actually not so much into the empire. But so these three gods were Jupiter, Mars, and Chirinus. Before, a year ago, I'd never even heard of Chirinus.
1: I I heard (laughs) of him this week.
2: Um, There are a handful of people, uh, rulers, who have taken a name similar to this that are based on this name. Uh, There's one even in the Bible. But it's actually not a popular god. People don't talk about him a whole lot. But he's one of the big three with Jupiter and Mars. Chirinus was an early Sabine god who became the patron of the Roman state. Uh, One of the seven hills of Rome is named in his honor. So it's kind of a big deal and yet so easily forgotten. Hmm. Then, of course, we have Jove, which is the Latin god of the sky. This name evolved into Jupiter with the title father added, becoming a little bit more familiar. And so that's why you often actually hear this interchangeable name, Jove, Jupiter, uh, the moons of Jupiter, usually called the Jovian moons, that kind of thing. It's just where the name comes from. It it works out well that I'm way.
1: up a Chilean, though.
2: Yeah. And so, of course, he was revered by military commanders. They would pay homage to Jupiter as he was the god that protected the Roman state. Kind of similar to what Ares did in the Greek tradition, but not quite the same. And so when the Romans received the stories of Zeus, they're like, well, obviously, this is Jupiter. So they just slapped the Jupiter sticker over the name of Zeus in all the books. They
1: they must not have read all the stories.
2: (laughs) Right? Uh, Uh, As far as I know, before the the adoption of all the Zeus stories, Jupiter wasn't super rapey.
1: (laughs) And then he became super rapey.
2: Yeah, I guess the Romans just didn't have a problem with Zeus. I don't know. It's weird. And then, of course, we have Mars or Marty, depending on the situation, linguistically speaking. Uh, He was an agricultural guardian. And so in this role, he was revered by the defenders of Rome, which, of course, easily moved him into the position of god of war. So we have a month in the spring named after him because of his agricultural role. Uh, His transformation into a war god gave him something to do in winter. Which, of course, is important. you yeah. got to have something to do year-round.
1: I have a winter hobby and a summer hobby. Exactly.
2: <laughs> uh, interestingly enough, Mars is actually said to be the father of the founder of Rome. Which we'll get into a little bit later.
1: Yes. Yeah. I did that.
2: <laughs> and so we've got those three major gods served by the, the major flamens which is of course a weird a weird word for priest that we've just kind of preserved sometimes flamens flamens i think flamens is more correct
1: like the sports equipment and agricultural equipment store close to
2: close to similar spelling but not I just identical mean,
1: that's pretty godly that store
2: <laughs> right and then there were 12 which still super important gods but they were served by the the minor flamens. Well,
1: yeah, because after the twelve then we literally have hundreds. So Yeah. <laughs> Which we're not gonna get in today, kids. Ain't nobody got time for that.
2: Right. <laughs> we can only focus on the really important ones.
1: So we start <laughs> with Ceres, and she's the Latin goddess of agriculture. I said that weird Latin goddess of agriculture. And the Romans decide that this was Demeter. Demeter's stories were actually all about her. Uh, But they murdered her daughter's name to Proserpina.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Persephone was done dirty.
1: (laughs) Persephone is a much better name if you are... Looking for baby names, please, and like going back and forth, go with Persephone, not Proserpina. (laughs) It's the Pina that gets me. I'm going to recommend that to a friend. I have a friend that's pregnant. I'm going to see if she wants to name her baby Proserpina. I like it. (laughs) Oh, no.
2: (laughs) Uh, Next on our list, we have Voltunus. He was the Etruscan god of the Tiber River, who was later replaced by the Roman Tiberinus makes perfect sense, new culture, taken over, gets to name the river the way they want, became the Tiber River, God with an appropriate name. Perfect. <laughs> um, I went looking for it, and I couldn't actually find the Etruscan name for the river, just the Etruscan equivalent of the name Tiberinus. It was kind of annoying. I looked for a while, and I was like, fine, I can't get it. It's <laughs> fine,
1: yeah. Uh, then we had Phalliser. Phalliser?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Phalliser. <laughs> Don't be a dick. <laughs> Don't be a dick. He was, he's an old Italian god. Go figure. Um, and
2: the, the Italic people are a subset of what is now modern day Italy. Like the Latins and the Romans subsets.
1: Yes. And that's actually where the name Italic font comes from. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So there's very little known about or today, but he lost all his popularity during the rise of the Roman Empire, which with a name like that is ironic to me.
2: <laughs> right? Because even back then, they were drawing phalluses oh, on everything.
0: Absolutely.
2: I don't know if it's even a coincidence or if he is deliberately named the god of phalluses. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> I could find almost nothing on this guy. There you go. Which is better than some of these 12, unfortunately. (laughs) Uh, Next on our list, we have Flora. I bet you can guess what she's the goddess of. Is it Flora? (laughs) Exactly. Wow. Uh, Flora was the old Sabine Italian goddess of flowers and the spring. Nice and simple.
1: There you go. Farina (laughs) was an old Roman goddess of water.
2: Nice broad category there.
1: What a great name too.
2: Right? Is like the, the fury of bubbling water, of, of ra- raging rapids and whatnot. That's kind of cool. I like it. Palatua was the patron god of Palatine Hill, whose cult did not survive the end of the Republic.
1: Never heard of him. so.
2: Right. Of, and these were major gods in the Republic time, or at least at the beginning of the Republic, and nobody talks about them.
1: Right. I god. mean, as we get on, we'll hear more names that people are more familiar with, but yeah, yeah these are not these feel obscure.
2: Yeah, but they were super important at one time.
1: <laughs> Pomona was the goddess of fruit and may have originally been Umbrian.
2: Yeah, it's kind of kind of fuzzy there, but one of the regional neighbors brought over into the Roman idea, and I like the name Pomona. It's where we get the word pom, uh, which is the French word for apple. It, it used to be just the generic word for fruit, but... Languages evolved, now it's apple. Weird stuff.
1: Palm de terre, apple of the earth.
2: Exactly, or fruit of the earth, depending on your preference oh, for how it, you oh, use the word. Oh, yeah.
1: interesting. I actually like fruit of the earth better for, right? a, for a potato. Yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> uh, we got Portunus, was the old Latin god of doors and keys.
1: What an obscure thing to be a god of,
2: but... It does sound kind of funky based on the way we feel needs for things that doesn't fit. But back then, his role was important, and people talked about it and used him. Of course, by the Imperial era, he had been almost completely replaced with the Roman Janus.
1: Who's a cool dude.
2: And they both had two heads, one facing either way, god of doors and ports and all that fun stuff. Comings and
1: goings. Yeah. Vulcan is the Sabine Roman god of fire.
2: Finally, we get somebody that people might likely be more familiar with.
1: (laughs) If only because of Star Trek. Sure. <laughs> uh, because his aspects are mirrored in the Greek Hephaestus. Hephaestus?
2: Hephaestus. Hephaestus,
1: Hephaestus are mirrored in the Greek Hephaestus. Uh, they share a ton of stories with each other, but there are still a few stories that are, that are unique to Vulcan, including a role in the Foundation of Rome.
2: And next on this we have Carmentus. The goddess of childbirth, prophecy, and charms, which is how that name is built, was actually the adoption of the Greek Nicostrati. And she is also credited with inventing the Latin alphabet.
1: Cool. Yeah. That is a pretty cool goddess.
2: Right? So we managed to get through all this list without hitting any outright theft from Greece until Carmentus. Yeah. (laughs) And then... So that's only 10 of these 12 church-supported cults below the top, big, big three. And the other two, we actually just don't know who they are. They are fully lost to history.
1: That's kind of cool.
2: A little oh, bit. Sad,
1: but kind of cool. Right? There's not much that's a mystery anymore. So, yeah.
2: um, The tradition of having these church-sanctioned deals, these priests who are basically on government payroll... Did last into the Empire. And the Emperor did fill one of those slots. But that only fills one of the two slots that we don't know who they were.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Cool. So now we have another round of gods.
2: <laughs> there's so many. But there's I still think they're interesting.
1: Oh, well, then let's talk about them. So yeah. let's talk about the era that first.
2: All right, so... These other gods that we're talking about are other important pre-imperial gods. And a lot of them did last into the empire. Some of them not necessarily in the same form. Because, of course, things kept evolving as they kept stealing stories from people.
1: I was going to say, now we start getting into the Greek stealing.
2: Yeah. Or uh,
1: stealing from the Greeks. They're not stealing Greeks. they Right. Plagiarizing.
2: That kind of language is why people confuse wh- who owned the Trojan horse before it was a gift. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so let's start with uh, the really primitive primal gods that they had. Uh, we had Saul, the primitive male personification of the sun. And uh, sacrifices, of course, ensured his return. He was equated pretty fairly with the Greek helios. Just that's the sun personified. A lot of the gods being counted as equal. Really easy to argue. But, I mean, the sun is the sun. That's the deal. That is the (laughs) deal. Just like Luna, the female personification of the moon. Uh, Of course, her identity got really complicated as Roman traditions incorporated more gods and... Gave moon duties to other people as well. Kind of like when Apollo took over sun duties. She
1: is the one. Sailor moon. <laughs> Third song of the night in my head now.
2: Uh, so if you remember your Greek gods, Selene was the equivalent to Luna, the sun goddess. And
1: then then Artemis gets in there too eventually. Yeah, That's not. Because of Apollo. Because of good old Apollo. So Tellus or also known as Terra was the female personification of the earth and her Greek counterpart or her, oh and her and her counterpart was Kalus, the personification of the heavens so in Greece this would be Gaia and Uranus
2: or if you like but Uranus
1: <laughs> I love butts <laughs>
2: I went so long in my life before somebody told me, no, no, it's pronounced Uranus. I'm like, that makes sense.
1: (laughs) You're like, that's more appropriate.
2: Uh, And next we have Saturn, who was the god of the land that was later called Rome. He was the giver of all good gifts and actually the closest thing the Romans had to a monotheistic god. Hmm. It was kind of interesting. Not that they were monotheistic, but that he really did
1: uh, close to all-powerful. More
2: or less, like he looked a lot like the way that the Israelites saw Jehovah.
1: Yeah. I heard Yahweh recently, and I was like, "No, oh
2: no, no, that's not okay." No, I didn't like <laughs> don't like that.
1: Don't like that. It's like Yahweh. Excuse me. Excuse yourself.
2: Uh, th- there there are a couple of pronunciations that I find perfectly acceptable. Jaway, Ja-way is not, not one, one of them. them. <laughs> Too many. Uh, I think it's really interesting that Saturn's day matches on the weekly calendar where the Jewish Sabbath falls. Saturday.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's just nifty to me. Uh, of course, his character changed completely when he was mapped onto the Greek Cronus, and he became this terrible, terrible yeah, Cronus theme. isn't great, yeah. No, just kind of gross. Oddly enough, there was a near approximation to the Christian Holy Spirit in genius. Oh. Uh, of course, genius has actually evolved a lot over the course of Roman history, and it barely survived into the imperial imperial era. Uh, during which time the word was simply applied to the soul of every man or sometimes family or household, um, but not women. Oh. They were said to have the spirit of Juno, which is kind of cool because Juno is a figure that actually survived.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is good. Now, Juno is the mother goddess, so great Kira would be the equivalent. She also, I mean filled a lot of roles as Rome evolved, but...
2: Yeah, we can't really say a whole lot more about Juno without contradicting some scholars or others. (laughs) She was a complex figure that, yeah, kind of a mess. She filled... wore a lot of hats.
1: (laughs) Don't all women.
2: I mean, definitely an awful lot. I can't speak for all of any group. (laughs)
1: Okay. <laughs> Most women.
2: Sure. I'll accept.
1: Thank you. <laughs> uh,
2: Lucrei is kind of interesting. The god of money and trickery in <gasps> ancient Rome.
1: Locii?
2: It, it does kind of sound like that, and it helps that they actually do match up on the trickery business. Uh, Lucrei is kind of, well, it is where we get the word lucre. Which is just dirty money. (laughs) (laughs) And so Lucreia was fully replaced by Mercury, who was the Roman response to Hermes.
1: Which is the messenger. Yeah. If you'll remember the messenger god.
2: Yeah. And his cult was actually mostly adopted from the Etruscan cult of Terms, uh, who also shared several aspects. So
1: there's like a lot of gods happening in this one.
2: Right. Uh remember when we talked about um hermeticism and Hermes Trismegistus?
1: Trismegistus.
2: Every character attached to Hermes Mercury is basically a composite of a whole what bunch of... everybody in the neighborhood could think to say about this guy. It's really messy. <laughs>
1: just like they put up a whiteboard one day and we're like let's brainstorm and not eliminate anything
2: yeah it really feels like okay. that
1: <laughs> <laughs> so that's not how you brainstorm kids
2: no you do need to eliminate the bad ideas
1: yes. at the end of course
2: sure i mean yeah if you, you, you eliminate bad it, ideas too soon then
1: it, you might miss out on a good idea but at the mm-hmm. end you definitely need to <laughs> do you know what this podcast would be called if we did not eliminate bad ideas
2: not something as good as the holy watermelon. That's
1: for sure. <laughs> I think it was going to be Katie and Preston talk religion. So, uh,
2: I'm Glad <laughs> we settled on holy
0: watermelon.
1: Right. <laughs> was worshipped by both the Romans and the Etruscans as the god of the underworld until Greek influence turned him into Pluto.
2: Well, fully replaced him with Pluto.
1: But the Greeks had Hades in the, in the underworld.
2: If you remember, last episode remember. we talked about how Pluto was the nickname given to Hades oh, so right. that you didn't accidentally gather his attention. Or, well, they, they usually said Pluton, depending yeah. on how it was used in a sentence, right. of course. Funny business. Pluto was a fully Greek name that the Romans just adopted. Weird business. <laughs> Liber or Liber Liber definitely Liber not Liber Liber was the god of wine and plebeian freedom Ooh. which of course made him really easy to replace with a drunken Greek god and we'll get into the details of that replacement oh. a little later too kind of on
1: the edge of our seat right <laughs> Neptune is one that you would probably be familiar with is the Roman adoption of Greek Poseidon
2: yeah. Fully adopted.
1: <laughs> this is, who's Raymond Bloch?
2: Raymond Bloch is just one Bloch. of a whole bunch of scholars who are really into this stuff. Uh, when I was trying to figure out where Neptune came from, I was actually really disappointed as he was just a straight across adoption from the Yeah, I found that too in my research. <laughs> and so Raymond Bloch found an etymology for this
1: name. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. <laughs>
2: and, because there, there needs to be a reason why you rename something that you fully ripped off of somebody else. <laughs> and Poseidon was a perfectly reasonable name. Neptune means he who is moist. Yes. <laughs> they could have called him the wet boy. <laughs> they could have called him. Aquaman. <laughs> they could have called him a lot of different things. They called him he who is moist. <laughs> I love it. According to Raymond Block.
1: I mean, <laughs> he who is he who is moist worse than he who is drippy?
2: Oh, I mean, we could have had a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, so I know that out there in internet land, there are people who make constructed religions for all kinds of fictional universes. And I want to hear of one where the gods don't have good names. They're just the drippy boy, the the gassy boy, that kind of thing. I, I think it would be fantastic.
1: Tell, tell everyone what you call Jesus.
2: Oily Josh.
1: Oily Josh. That's a good one.
2: Josh, perfectly reasonable that interpretation his of his given name. And Christ, Christ or Messiah oil. means oily. Yeah,
1: Oily Josh.
2: Or one who has been anointed with one oil. One who has been oilied. Yeah.
1: He who is oily. (laughs) Josh who is oily. Yep. Uh, Wow, we digress so quickly. That's okay. Uh, Minerva. Minerva McGonagall. Kidding. Uh, Minerva was the personification of intelligence and the plan of the cosmos. And she was treated as a strategist and domestic protector. So very similar to Athena. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's there's a reason Athena got mapped onto Minerva.
1: <laughs> it's my mapping sound.
2: Well done. <laughs> the hesitated clap. <laughs> All right. Uh, next on our list we have Diana. Again, reasonably well known. <laughs> Very complex Italian goddess. Her cult saw her as the perfect role model, being a guardian of the wild while also a hunter. She was also associated with the moon a little later on, as well as a keeper of the dead and of crossroads. Uh, also, indistinct persons of Luna or Selene and Hecate. Diana was also part of a minor triad with Verbius and Ageria, personifications of the woods and waters, respectively.
1: Cool. Yeah. And that's with Artemis. Exactly. <laughs> Vesta is the goddess of the hearth, and I even think their name sounds similar, Greek Hestia.
2: Well, especially if Vesta was ever pronounced Westa, that's awfully close to Hestia. Yeah.
1: She doesn't have a ton of stories about her, but was called a virgin, which is also weird because there are ancient tales of her fire producing a penis to impregnate women. Fire penis!
2: (laughs) Right? What a dramatic story to contradict the label of virgin.
1: (laughs) She could teach Mary a thing or two. Right.
2: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Some interesting gods. Like I mentioned before, there's a little bit of an issue with Greek-Roman equivalents. Many Roman gods were effectively replaced by Greek gods though they did keep the Roman names. Some Greek gods were just straight up adopted into the Roman tradition and were Romanized and blended with pre-existing gods, known among the Romans and their closer neighbors. And most Roman gods were distinct characters who happened to share a patronage. Some are lost forever. Others are buried under Greek stories, which helps build the false analogy. Um, Even in the 5th century uh, before the Common Era, scholars like Herodotus preferred to study the gods as though they all existed across cultures, known by different names. And unfortunately, this philosophy influenced the way Roman cult leaders and storytellers adapted Greek stories to their local gods. It became common for writers to use the names of gods with similar aspects fully interchangeably, so that in the Christian Bible, for example, Mars Hill in Rome, is identified as Ares Hill in the Greek text.
1: I, uh, even working on the Roman afterlife, like, as I dug deep am like, but this is the Greek afterlife. And I was like, am I wrong or is it just so similar? I can't see the forest for the trees.
2: It, it's messy and complicated to find the difference a little bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are a good handful of scholars, and it's kind of hard to contradict some of these ideas, Believe that these gods are evolved from proto Indo European prototypes. Um, The problem with the hypothesis is that this denies the ability of cultures to create gods independently. Like Sol and Helios could have just come from the same story from further east, right? But it also makes perfect sense they both looked up and said, Hey, that sounds super important to us, let's offer sacrifices.
1: Well, I mean, especially when you get into island nations, right? Like, I, you know, like I've alluded to, we have the British Isles and Ireland, and they came up with their own sun god,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and they were literally cut off from the rest of the world. So,
2: <laughs> yeah. So it's it's a tricky position that, in a lot of cases, it does look like this hypothesis does hold true. In a lot of other cases, this hypothesis doesn't look valid. And so it is is—it's very much a case-by-case case case basis that we have to judge these on.
1: Rome doesn't have a Mount Olympus. That's in Greece.
2: Right. But it does have seven hills.
1: That sounds boring. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean...
1: <laughs> I got seven hills down the street. Do you? I mean, there's definitely at least three in the park. That's fair. (laughs) So I wouldn't have to go much further to find four more.
2: I think you're probably right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Of course, Rome has grown since this (laughs) statement was even valid, but that's okay.
1: I don't have a mountain, though.
2: Um, But the seven hills of Rome figure very prominently into the revelation of John at the end of the Christian Bible. Mm -hmm. And the, the seven horns the crowns on the seven horns Mm, mm -hmm. yeah those are the hills of rome oh interesting yeah so instead of 12 olympians there is a triad enshrined as the hill gods and this triad is jupiter juno and minerva there's a tribute to mount olympus found in the roman forum where the 12 olympians are represented by their roman counterparts or straight up just themselves (laughs)
1: Juno and Minerva are under a hill.
2: No, 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 no. <laughs> They're on the hill.
1: On the hill. Underhill. Mr. Underhill. <laughs> They're on the hill, okay?
2: Yeah. So looking at a few more of these gods that are definitely influenced and sometimes butchered because of Greek influence, mm-hmm. there's some interesting stuff. I want to Let's get Apollo out of the way first. He's an interesting case because... His cult had actually spread from further east to the Italian peninsula long before the Romans even started spreading their aggressive influence. He's one of the few gods who is actually truly the same in the Roman and Greek traditions without even a different name. Nice. Yeah. What a guy. Right? One thing I found was really interesting, though. I went I went looking into this Pluton nonsense. Oh, okay. Uh, so, Dispater, the father of riches was the god of mineral wealth. And due to the similar meaning in the Greek name Pluton, they were really easy to combine. And the association with the underworld, because of who Pluton was in the Greek tradition, just kind of forced its way into that syncretization, which just straight up pushed Orcus out of the picture.
1: Wow. Poor Orcus. Right?
2: Uh, So sometimes, you know, we'll see that There's, you know, a different version of this god. Pluto is Hades. He's not the Roman version of Hades. He just is the Greek Hades living under Rome.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, the underworld's probably pretty big, so.
2: It would have to be. There's been a lot of dead people in the course of history.
1: Then, of course, we have Mars, uh, who is similar to Ares in the Greek tradition. So he was a force of agriculture, stability, military-supported peace, but he was later helped on to Ares, the god of brutal warfare. <laughs> and Therefore, Mars adopted Ares stories and traditions.
2: Thanks for the Greek influence.
0: Yeah.
1: Good old Greeks. <laughs> Bacchus.
2: Bacchus is cool. I Uh,
1: swear to you that the Portuguese name for Bert is Bacchus in Sesame Street in Rosasamo.
2: Oh, we've got lots of benign figures named Dennis, too.
1: I know, but (laughs) (laughs) it's great watching it redubbed and him going, Bacchus!
2: Sure. (laughs) Uh, Bacchus was the Greek god who replaced the earlier Roman god Liber. Uh, He's also known as Dionysus. The name Bacchus was apparently more popular in Rome than Dionysus, and it's connected to the Greek word Bacchaea, which means a drunken frenzy. There's a little bit of argument back and forth on which came first, that whether the mania was named after the figure or vice versa. I'm leaning towards this new name for Dionysus coming from the drunken the frenzy, junkie, yeah, but I'm sure there's loads of people happy to disagree with me, and that's that's what scholarship is. <laughs> it's just like we found with Hades and Pluto. Bacchus is Dionysus. He just kind of stabbed Liber enough that Libra stopped being around.
1: That's rude. <laughs> More or less. <laughs> and you know who else suffered the same fate? Minerva. Yeah. yeah so athena replaced an awful lot of local domestic goddesses so the name minerva still kicks around but it's basically athena
0: yeah
2: venus is kind of cool lots of reasons people would like her the roman goddess of desire love sex and fertility almost never illustrated with clothing
1: only hair
2: right (laughs) uh so She was the one you would call on when you needed help seducing somebody. (gasps) Uh, This is early on her major function. And because of that, she's fairly equal to the Greek Aphrodite, apart from her older stories that would obviously distinguish them. And one of those is that she is said to be an ancestor of the Roman people after fleeing the battle of Troy from, from Greek legend.
1: Oh, cool. Yeah.
2: It's kind of an interesting connection there.
1: I mean, we talked about Hestia and Diana and Artemis.
2: Yeah, pretty much. They're just kind of replacing names for those fellas as well. Uh And so the Roman pantheon, of course, expanded to include way more gods than I could even actually bother to count. Let's be real, it was a long list. Oh,
1: it goes (laughs) on forever. If you want to hear more obscure gods... Send us an email, hollywatermelonpod at gmail.com.
2: The the list of gods actually gets even longer when you just add all of the different names that individual gods can be known by. It's such a mess because, you know, a culture so rich in poetry and storytelling, very often you would see 10 different names used for a god in one body of work.
1: Like pet names, but... Kind of,
2: but sometimes they would be kind of mean. Oh. <laughs> sometimes they would just describe... I uh, mean, a,
1: Tubbsy is still a pet name. Sure, It's <laughs> not a nice pet name. but.
2: A lot of these names would describe their <laughs> aspect and their relation to other things in the world or other gods in the cosmos. All kinds of things. Tubbsy. <laughs> yeah. And so we did end up with a lot of gods that don't have a Greek equivalent as well. Like Janus. The god with two faces, spirit of doorways and gates, doesn't really have a Greek equivalent that that I'm aware of. No.
1: I mean, none with two faces. That's a very almost Hindu thing.
2: Yeah, it kind of is, isn't it? Yeah.
1: So, I don't even think the Greek tradition really has... I mean, a little bit of an origin story with the Titans and Olympus, but... Yeah, you'd have
2: l- some local stories about local things, but I don't remember coming across a world origin story apart from Gaia, which is the world, is the child of... Um, Other people. What was it? Oh, now I forgot.
1: It's fine. It's <laughs> It's on the family bush. Yeah. Uh, but Rome has a godly origin story. Which I'm sure some of you are familiar with. So Mars, the God of War, conceived two twin boys, Romulus and Remus, with a vestal virgin, Rhea, Sylvia. Obviously, she was not a virgin. <laughs> I mean... It caused some problems. <laughs> this conception.
2: So the trick here... So a virgin would be somebody who was never married. And it is usually culturally appropriate that they would also be a virgin the way we know the word. So probably up until this point, she was she a was. virgin the way we know this, the wasn't. word. She was, not
1: Good old Mars. What a scamp.
2: Uh, <laughs> Vestal, of course, meaning that she was a servant of Vesta, who would tend the fires.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh, she got a peanut, fire penis.
2: Not this uh, time. It was Mars. This, <laughs>
1: Mars' is real penis. Um, so Rhea's dad was King Amulius. And didn't like that there were now two little boys that might want the throne. So he chucked these kids into the river Tiber to die.
2: Better than eating them like Cronus. I
1: guess so. (laughs) They were saved by Tiberinus, the god of the Tiber River, um, in an area of what is now Rome. And if... Romulus and Remus were raised by a wolf, so that's often why you know Remus Lupin is his name. It's associated with wolves.
2: <laughs> Wolfie McWolferson. If you weren't paying attention to the third book of Harry Potter, his name is the the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher's name is Wolfie McWolferson,
1: <laughs> and he's a werewolf. <gasps> Who would have, no, saw, that would have saw that coming? That um, <laughs> coming. So. One of the brothers ends up in jail. The other one rescues him. Then they fight over where to put the... I think it's the temple on which one of the seven hills. And then they have a fight. And Romulus kills Remus. Some Cain and Tragic. Abel... Tragic. Some Cain and Abel vibes going on here. I don't know right? which one came first. I'm actually quite curious. Um, and Romulus went on to found a Rome. Oh, no. Viewless. Uh <laughs> So... Rome was founded by a demigod.
2: That's kind of a cool story. I like it.
1: All right. But seriously, which one came first, Cain and Abel, or like the story? I mean, obviously, chronologically, Cain and Abel would have come first. But when was the story?
2: Written? When was the story told, as we know it in Genesis today, is yes. really, really hard, hard to, to pin pinpoint.
1: down. Okay, okay. <laughs>
2: All right. So similar to the Greek tradition, the Romans built shrines and temples to their gods, as you would expect. If you paid any attention to the cool architecture in the world, this probably would have come up in your Googling or your real genuine studies. (laughs) 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 They're different, usually. (laughs) Uh, Prayer appears to have been more common in the Roman tradition than Mm -hmm. in Greek tradition. They believe that sacrifices wouldn't work without an accompanying prayer makes perfect sense that's the tradition I grew up with too
1: Just because uh, anything without a purse just a barbecue right <laughs> mm pig Of course uh, part of sacrifice was like we said animal sacrifice a barbecue the human, holy barbecue the holy barbecue <laughs> um, human sacrifice was rare but it definitely happened. Uh, Romans believed that human sacrifice was barbaric and inappropriate, except on the rare occasions when it was meaningful to have a ritualized execution of your enemies.
2: Yeah, I found one account of um, a couple of Celts being ritually buried under a statue, which is not the best way to go.
1: No, that's terrible. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I'd say like across the board, all of these, religions or groups that people think sacrifice humans they do not, did not. <laughs> sacrifice humans. I think it happens, but not nearly to the volume that people think it happens or happened.
2: Yeah. But. Even mm-hmm. the people who would throw people into volcanoes, the story, you know, throw a virgin into a volcano. Mm-hmm. Probably not. It was more likely throw your political enemies into and and criminals into, into a volcano because why build a prison when you go throw them throw in a, a volcano.
1: volcano. <laughs> yeah, none of these overcrowded prisons but. right?
2: Uh, generally wild animals were considered to already belong to the gods so they could not be offered to the gods. Um, most of your offerings would have been your own livestock or you also had the opportunity to buy livestock because sacrifice of money is pretty much equivalent to the things that if you would have if you didn't have money.
1: I was just reading about all of this. Yeah? Yeah. It feels also relevant.
2: Sure. What were you reading?
1: And in, in Zealot, they were talking about um, buying you have to buy a domesticated animal when you go to the temple.
2: Yeah. Cause it was way cheaper to buy one at the there. temple than take one with you from far away and feed it the whole trip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it okay. makes it just makes good sense.
1: What a business.
2: Right? <laughs> Anyway. Uh, Most offerings were eaten in a great feast. Um, Sometimes it would be just the priests, but usually it would be a whole bunch of people would share in this animal because an animal feeds a lot of people Mm -hmm. and you want to eat it before it goes bad because refrigerators, not common. (laughs) Nope. Uh, So, of course, after the entrails were given to the gods, that's when you could eat. Uh, just Just as we have seen in the cult of the Israelite tradition.
1: To like I just said. Exactly.
2: Okay, <laughs> I thought it was really cool that the Flamin's had great civil authority. Like, kind of a problem. They could pardon anybody convicted of a crime. Uh, unless, of course, they were thrown into vol- volcano. If that was happening, then it was too late. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, but they were never permitted to hold political office. And they were also effectively banned from military leadership. Sending uh, an irritating son of a ruler to go off and become a flamen kept him from fighting for what he would have thought was his due as a son of a a leader. So it's kind of nifty. And apparently this happened a lot. And if you pay any attention to, say, the Borgias, or just broadly speaking, Christian history... (laughs) Uh, in the first thousand years in Rome, you can see that this tradition has a strong influence on Christian imperial power. Yeah. <laughs> and like in any reasonable religious tradition, the priests had to be married.
1: <laughs> Good.
2: <laughs> right. I think it would solve a lot of problems.
1: Didn't haven't we talked about this where like we've, we've they talked had about this so a... many times. <laughs> The Catholic Church had like a third party inquiry on how to stop sexual abuse, and they were the solution was like, let them have wives. And the Catholic Church was like, yeah, no. no." What's the next option? They were like, let them have wives. And they're like, yeah, no. Right.
2: What a mess. What a mess.
1: While some cults were devoutly pious priesthoods, many were more similar to modern Freemasonry, Preston. Yeah. And I know you don't know much about modern Freemasonry, (laughs) uh, but people generally believed in a divine power, but built rituals around stories that they didn't necessarily accept as historical fact, but instead as moral guidelines. So it's all very much a metaphor.
2: A lot of it really is. I
1: mean, I know you wouldn't understand. (laughs) So I'm just trying to explain it to you in, like, simple terms. Thank you.
2: Yeah. I'm glad that we're on the same page now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Pretty much every cult and nearly every god and goddess had a festival, which meant that Roman life was full of celebrations. Rome was a poppin' place to be.
1: And Herculaneum and Pompeii were two party cities.
2: I mean... Let's be real. If you had any real commitment to the Roman life, city life was awesome.
1: (laughs) Apparently, if you go to the ruins of Herculaneum, like, there are literally dicks on walls.
2: That doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah. I mean, we still do that.
0: (laughs) I'm right.
1: Humans haven't changed much in 2,000 years.
2: Why do guys draw dicks? I don't know.
1: (laughs) I draw dicks. Do not just say guys. Okay. I draw a lot of
2: dicks. More men draw dicks than women do i've from a, a perfectly reasonable amount of research that i've done on the subject
1: <laughs> i feel like a social media poll is gonna
2: i mean happen. we can poll our audience we do have actually really close to an even split between people who identify as male and people who identify as female
1: ladies Let me know if you draw dicks, because I draw a lot of dicks. (laughs) And I think a lot of women draw a lot of dicks.
2: Please let us know.
1: Oh, my goodness. There was a site. I don't even know if I could find it again. And it was like a drawing website. And you'd, like, draw something. Mm -hmm. And it would morph into a penis. Like, no matter what you drew, it would turn into a penis. And then if you're on your phone, if you shook your phone, the penises would wiggle. It was the best (laughs) thing ever. I got a...
2: That's fantastic. It
1: was fantastic. And like, <laughs> what I'd have to Google to find it again is not okay, but I might try. My friend sent it to me, and I was like, oh, that's cool. I like drew a smiley face, and also I had three wiggling penises on my screen. It was great.
2: Uh, <laughs> the god that you've already forgotten, Phalliser, would be proud. <laughs> oh. Yeah,
1: you uh. So now the Roman afterlife is the author's often a religious experience um and this was really hard to research preston he gave me a hard section um because it's so vast like every article i read said something different
2: (laughs) that's frustrating i did come across a similar kind of issue when looking it up for the last episode about the greek perspective That a lot of different writers would say a lot of different things.
1: So if you hear something that feels wrong, feel free to jump on in. (laughs) So one of the reports I read said that Romans believe in something similar to heaven. If you're good, you go to a better place with the gods. Um, And then I read another source that says, yes, they believe in heaven, but it's only for gods. So a god would be in heaven, come down, do his business, and then go back up to heaven. So not meant for people at all. That's
2: pretty familiar if we look back at the way the Shintos looked at heaven. So,
1: yeah. Um, Again, we spoke a little bit about the underworld and Aries. Hades? Yeah, but what's the Roman equivalent? Pluto? Pluto.
2: Or Orcus.
1: (laughs) Pl- yeah, so he talked a little bit about the underworld and Pluto, and I literally did all this research, and then when I, like, cross-checked it, it all came up as Greek. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know if I'm correct in any of this. Um, but Virgil added in, he was one of the writers um, mm-hmm. where some of this is documented. He's, like, the equivalent of Homer.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So... He added sections of the underworld, or talked about sections of the underworld that were specific to infants, those who were falsely accused for crimes, and people who had committed suicide. So, different sections of the underworld, where you know you might be treated a little bit better based off of the circumstances of your death. Sure, that seems all right. Um, And and to that point, the Greek excuse me, the Romans also believed in a essentially an equivalent to purgatory, which i will get to in a second. So, immediately after you die, you're met by Mercury, who takes you across the river Styx where you're delivered to Charon. And this is all, again, I cross checked it, it's all Greek, so I was like, (laughs) I don't know if I'm right or not. (laughs) Um, And then, there are three gods that judge you entering the underworld. They are Minos, Achis, and Radamanthus. And these are all kings of Crete.
2: What a weird place to pull all of the gods who judge the dead.
1: Right? Hmm. I think they were judgy kings, so when they died, they were like, okay. Yeah. If you're a good noble, good and noble, you go to the fields of Elysium. And if you're just a regular person, but good, you go to the Plain of Asphodel. Now, if you're bad, you go to Tartarus for punishment, where you are tortured by Furies. And a Hydra guards Tartarus, which is pretty badass.
2: That sounds like slightly better defense than a three-headed dog named Spot. Because uh, when it was you-
1: Fluffy. <laughs> hey,
2: I'm actually not talking about Harry Potter this what? time. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Kerberos means spotted.
1: Aww. Yeah. So Aww.
2: Hades named his dog Spot. That's adorable. It is.
1: Aww, <laughs> oh, my little heart is nothing.
2: <laughs> Uh But a Hydra, uh, traditionally, you cut off one head and two take its place, yeah. which means terrifying. the guard of Tartarus is a lot harder to beat and a lot more terrifying.
1: Yeah. Um, but Tartarus is like the Catholic purgatory. so you don't actually stay in Tartarus forever. you stay until your punishment is up and then you move on to where you're supposed to go.
2: Interesting twist, I like it.
1: I, I, you know what? <laughs> I mean, there's obviously like a lot of things I don't agree with in Catholicism, but I you know, if we were trying to like correct people's behavior through religion, I like the ideas of Purgatory or Tartarus, mm-hmm. not where like we scare people. And eternal tra- hell, eternal prior. hell and traumatize them but yeah absolutely do i want to see hitler get some comeuppance yeah that doesn't seem fair that we both get the same free pass but you know i also don't think scaring kids into <laughs> um religious trauma syndrome is okay either so right anyway i digress <laughs> And then another aspect of the afterlife I found are the demons. <laughs> or demons.
2: Demonis does
1: demonus. map over
2: onto the word demons pretty effectively. And
1: they're <laughs> spirits of the underworld. And so again, I found two parts to this. So it is your your spirit is a demonis when you pass and you join them when you die. And these spirits were worshiped at the Parentalia Festival, which was a 90-day festival meant to honor your ancestors. So, another Roman Man, party.
2: Makes all of us who do the Day of the Dead thing for a day or two look like.
1: Pussies. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but then I found sources that have said that the, these Demanus don't reside in the underworld, they reside on Earth. As, you know, essentially I mean, for it's all like, of
2: the haunting stories that we've had throughout literally all of history, I mean, that makes sense.
1: Right. So I'd like find something and be like, oh, cool. So they're underworld spirits in then ghoul. And they'd be like, no, they're earth spirits. So I was like, okay. <laughs> I give up.
2: They're around. They're around. Somewhere.
1: <laughs> and then when Caesar was high priest, he said that there was no life after death. Which Caesar? I don't know. It Good just old Julio? said Caesar. Oh, okay. I assumed Julio.
2: Okay. I guess that's the way it goes. If they didn't tell you, that's, I assume I feel like that's the safe if, assumption. Yeah, that's maybe. what I assumed. I could um, be very wrong. But
1: basically that life was suffering and death was released so that there was nothing after it. So was he secretly a Buddhist? Maybe. <laughs> maybe.
2: Who knows? I mean, he clearly didn't believe that there was... A Hades to go and visit if he said that there is no life after death.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, very broad scope of this. Everything from heaven to the underworld to purgatory to nothing. Right. So, I hope none of you are confused. (laughs)
2: Like we really tried to nail down in the previous episode about the Greek tradition. There isn't any monolithic thing in Roman religious tradition. Though it is a better fit for the word religion than the Greek tradition was, it's still a lot of different cults and a lot of different beliefs existing and coexisting in the same place. It's not homogenous. It's a mess. It's like...
0: it's
1: almost
2: (laughs) It's almost like Christianity when you look at, um, say, the Baptists versus the Catholics versus the Latter-day Saints versus... Literally every other group, there's a fair bit of difference, but it's not actually a fair analog either because they all really highlight a specific God as this is the one that really earns our devoted worship. It's all funky stuff.
1: (laughs) It all comes back to Katie's religious analogy of ice cream. It's all vanilla ice cream.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. I'm going to need you to...
1: Am I explaining my, finally on air, my ice cream analogy of religion? I think
2: that would help now that you've brought it up. Okay,
1: Katie's (laughs) ice cream analogy of religion. It's all ice cream. Mm Mm-hmm. All of it.
0: Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And...
2: Some people don't like ice cream. Some people and don't like okay. some
1: people don't like ice cream, it's all okay. But then you get Christianity. Let's say Christianity is vanilla ice cream. And Lottery Saints is vanilla with chocolate chips. And Jehovah's Witness is vanilla with caramel swirl. And pick another an Anabaptist or vanilla with M and M's. And Right? It's sure. all vanilla ice cream, sure, at the end of the day. And then you got Islam, which is like chocolate ice cream, and you have your Sunnis and your Shiites. and you got some rocky road in there and, and whatever. And then you got Buddhism, which is strawberry and maybe you throw some, some, some something in there. Anyway, it's all ice cream, and you have all your flavors and you have your base flavors and then you have your mixings. And then this is where it's a great analogy is my problem. And why I do this is that some people only try vanilla ice cream and they say, Vanilla ice cream's the best. It's the best flavor, period. And I go, But have you tried chocolate? And they go, Why would I ever try chocolate? That's stupid. And that's why <laughs> I have sampled every flavor and then decided I don't like ice cream. <laughs>
2: But have you really sampled the flavors?
1: I mean, I think I've sampled more than the average bear.
2: I think you have read the ingredients list and haven't tasted them.
1: Oh, elaborate.
2: <laughs> to really experience the ice cream uh-huh. is to taste it. And I can't I, I can't say with confidence that you've gone and experienced Any one religion.
1: Wow. (laughs) What would I have to do to experience an ice cream cone?
2: It's a little bit more than visiting a church. That's the trick.
1: (laughs) But I still think I've had more dabblings in ice cream than the average person.
2: I think that you are far more familiar with the ingredients list than the average ice cream eater.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Even though I don't eat ice cream. Yeah wow
2: (laughs) i like this analogy i just don't think that it's some
1: people get upset about chocolate and they haven't even read the ingredients list right and that bothers me
2: yeah that is absolutely the reality and that does suck hopefully as we share this (laughs) understanding of what is in the ice cream with the world people stop being dicks about it
1: See, I feel like, you know, when they give you that like little spoon uh-huh. to see if you like it? Uh-huh. Like, I feel like that is like going to a church service of something that's not yours. I'm not saying Maybe. I've had a whole bowl or a cone, I'm just saying I've had like a little...
2: You've had a little taste without the full experience. Yeah. Not even enough to fill your mouth. No. But just, just, some... just that little wooden scoop that you I... still remember the way the scoop tastes.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, my mouth tastes like wet now. <laughs> right cuz i i mean and i you're right like i definitely do not have a full experience of a lot of religions but i think to s- anyone to step out of their comfort zone and to go to a place of worship that is not their own is a pretty bold move it is and i'd like to do more and of it it's a good move um but if anyone's out there wanting to try ice cream i think they need to know that that's a bold move and to be mm-hmm. proud of yourself yep. for taking that little sample stick and going yeah so give me at least a sample stick okay okay <laughs> and ing- lots of ingredients list a handful of sample sticks sure. no bowls of ice cream for me i'm on board okay <laughs> i feel like that's a mini episode that we just- <laughs> on katie's ice cream analogy of religion maybe Um, So I guess we should, like, quickly summarize the Roman religion.
2: (laughs) Roman religious traditions, hella complicated. Whole lot of cults, whole lot of gods. Basically, more or less peacefully coexisting, that you've got neighborhoods of people who are happy to celebrate the feasts of multiple gods. And maybe they don't necessarily actually believe that... There is a personified sun. That's not a problem. You still go on living the life and offering your sacrifices because you really need the sun to keep coming back every spring and every morning. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> all right. Well, you can follow us on our social media. Facebook, Instagram, Discord.
2: We've got Patreon where we've got a... Good handful of exclusive content. We've got a stop. A stop. We've got a shop where you can buy merch. And
1: and I'm just going to put out in there. If you can give us a review on iTunes, leave us five stars. Follow us on Spotify. Subscribe to us on iTunes. That helps the algorithm so much to get us found. So that would be huge if you're listening. G- get us some growth this year, one of our... Resolutions for 2022 is to grow this puppy. So, any little bit you can do is huge for us.
2: Share us with your friends.
1: Yes, yeah, so it's your bigoted old grandma. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I mean, maybe she needs it. Well, she, she probably
1: does. <laughs> Peace, Peace be with you. you. <laughs>
0: By the late Middle Ages, the Christian prophecies for fulfilled.